God bless your heart. Such a gracious people. And, and uh, I always feel at home here. Not like I'm going to move in or anything, but I just feel at home. Amen. <laughs> All right. Brother Mike Tice is a dear friend of mine. Some of you, some of you may not have met Brother Mike. He's a pastor friend. And we go out to eat on Mondays uh, quite often. And he was a missionary in Mexico for many, many years. And still heads up mission work down in Mexico. And it's just, uh, I'm glad our paths have crossed. He's been a dear friend to me. And we came up here uh, together. And... Uh, we're fixing to go to the Red River Valley Bible Conference together, so it will have a good time. Turn, if you would, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. All right. Almost there. I believe it's after 1 Corinthians, if I remember. <laughs> well, I think they're about the same age, though, both those Corinthians. You know, in Bible times, if you were just no good, <laughs> I mean, you were just purity, no good. Do you know what they called you? A Corinthian. It was a byword that they used. But isn't it amazing that by the grace of God, we can go to the trashiest place on earth and God can build a church there? Isn't that just like God? We, some of us, know that had it not been for the grace of God, we have no idea where we'd be uh, tonight. So I thank God uh, for the Corinthian church, even though they had all their problems. It proves to us how much God loves us. Amen. Look in verse 5. <clears throat> Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not? your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that tonight I can examine myself, and not by my works or not by my accomplishments, but by the grace of God, I know I'm in the faith and that the Lord Jesus Christ is in me. Help us tonight examine ourselves. We ask in Jesus' name. And all the people said. He said to examine ourselves. So I hope that everyone here tonight, that you will examine yourself. Uh, the apostle is saying, every Christian who examines himself by the word of God should be able to determine whether or not they are in the faith or whether they are walking in the shadows of dark doubt and unbelief. If you're a child of God, you have in you the ability to examine yourself and see if you're walking after the Spirit or you're walking after the flesh. You have the ability to know if you are in the faith or you're in doubt and unbelief. And that is a privilege, and it may sound negative to say it that way, but aren't you glad if you're a Christian tonight, that the Holy Spirit of God rings your bell when you sin. And when you don't have that, it's a, not a good sign. Either you're so backslid that you can't hear God anymore and you need to fast and pray a while, 
or God will bring something into your life because he knows how to get your attention, or it could be that you have not been to the cross of Calvary. Now, the apostle says here that there may be some in the attendance of the church that cannot examine themselves. They're not able to do this because they are reprobate. And, and they don't come under conviction at all when they sin. It never bothers them to do so. Uh, they don't read the Bible and fall under self-examination. So what is a reprobate? Well, it's a person who does not prove himself as he ought to. It's a person that is unfit for self-examination. He remains unproved. He is false. He's bogus. He's fake. He's counterfeit. He's forged. He's degenerate sinner. He's a rascal and he's a troublemaker and can't even examine himself and see that. Boy, that's sad, isn't it? Many scholars believe that a reprobate is a person who is unsavable. They believe they have gone so far in the direction of doubt and unbelief that they cannot recover themselves. There is no sermon stout enough. There is no anointing sweet enough. There is no word pertinent enough to bring that person to repentance because he cannot humble himself anymore. Lord, I hope, I, I hope that none of you ever get in that condition. Amen? But I believe that becoming reprobate is not an overnight thing. Lost church members, many of them have been convicted in the past. Many backslid Christians walked in conviction in their past. But we just continue on ignoring the wooing of the Holy Spirit of God and we can no longer hear it. We cannot even self-exam ourselves anymore. And uh, I do believe that there comes a point in a person's life when the God turns them over to a reprobate mind. Genesis 6-3, though this scripture can be used, I know, in many different ways, but I believe in the simplest form that it paints a picture to us that God will not always strive with you to get you to do what He's called you to do. Now, by the way, I'm very thankful that God is a merciful God and that the, uh, the wheels of his judgment do not spin fast. They barely move. But remember what the old preachers used to say. The mill of God turns real slow, but it grinds powder. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh. Yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Live to be 120 years and not fall under conviction anymore. Wouldn't that be terrible? Romans 1.28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They didn't like doing that anymore. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. To do those things which are not convenient. 2 Timothy 3.8. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses... So do these also reduce, uh, resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. 
Oh, that'd be a terrible condition to be in. Titus 1.15, unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. So having said that, I hope that you're able to examine yourself. Now you hear me, child, child of God or lost church member. If you come under conviction, you ought to thank God for it. For there are some people who cannot. Man, I can remember back in my youth in the ministry, conviction was plenteous. I mean, people blushed. People still knew how to blush when I was a child. Honey, we've forgotten how to blush a long time ago. This world is so wicked and it's so evil. Our country is morally bankrupt. Conviction, I can remember a time when you preached or witnessed to folks and they may not respond immediately, but you could see Holy Ghost conviction fall on people. Boy, we need it today, but I want to tell you a lot of people in our country have sinned away their lives and I believe that many of them are reprobate. They cannot come under conviction. I hate, I hate to say that because I don't want you to lose hope. I'm telling you, uh, it's, God is the one who labels somebody reprobate, not us. Aren't you glad of that? Because there are people that would have labeled us a long time ago. But I want to tell you, God's the one that does that. And I'm telling you, I don't sense tonight that we have a pack of reprobates here. And if uh, I've been in a couple of places made me question. Are you willing to take a self-examination? And we're going to do it in an odd way. The title of the message, and we're going to use this message to take a self-examination. I want to see how you respond to the title of the message, all right? Everybody is a Judas. Everybody is a Judas. Now, I've had people give me the stink eye when I've said things like that. I want you to examine yourself because everybody is a Judas. There are seven Judases in the Bible. Whew. I thought he was just going to, I thought you thought I was going to home in on Judas Iscariot. Not, uh, the Bible says over and over, not Iscariot. So Judas is not a bad name as we think it is, and we're going to go through these seven. But if you name uh, your son Judas, be sure that his second name is not Iscariot. All right, Matthew chapter 1, verse 2. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac began Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. Uh, Judas is the New Testament way to pronounce Judah. One's Greek and one's Hebrew. Now, what does Judah's name mean? It means to praise and glorify God. And I want to tell you, I've got a little of that Judas in me, that I love to praise God. I love to worship God. I love sometimes to let out a war hoop for God and scare all those backslid Baptists to death. Are you that kind of Judas that you enjoy worshiping God and praising God? And listen, you can sit there in your pew and be very humble and very quiet and you can worship God. Amen? But if you're like me and you just got a little wildness in you, you can shout praises to God 
and sing praises to God. Listen, we don't need to judge one another about how we worship. What we need to do is worship. And old Judah, his name meant praise. So the tribe of Judah is a name for people that love to worship and praise God in the Old Testament. I want you to examine yourself. Would you pass for that Judas? One who enjoys praising God. Now, by the way, he that worship me must worship me in spirit and truth, not in your flesh. You get somebody worshiping in their flesh and it'll nauseate me. I mean, it just makes me sick to my stomach. But people that know the truth and worship God bring such joy in the house of God. Do you love him tonight? Do you like to worship him? By the way, he's worthy of it. Amen. Let's look at the second Judas in the Bible. Now I'm just going to tell y'all, I, I got in trouble last time I was here mispronouncing words. So I'm going to try. All right. What are you laughing about? You instigated most. All right. Uh, Matthew chapter 10 at, at verse 2. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first Simon, who's also called Peter, Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus, uh, Labias whose surname is uh, Thaddeus. Now Labias is the Judas here, surname uh, Thaddeus or Thaddeus is what to say where I'm from. I was a grown man before I found out the sons of Belial was not the sons of Belial. And uh, so I may pronounce it but try to glean some truth out of a country preacher tonight. The 12 of them that is mentioned here, one of them is Judas Labias. Now this is a wonderful Judas in the Bible because listen what he said to Jesus one day in John 14, 22. Judas Labias saith unto him, Jesus, not a scary. Here we go again. Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Man, he might not have said a whole lot, but he said a mouthful right there. Lord, why is it when there are untold millions and millions of people on this globe have never heard of your name? but yet you revealed yourself to me. I want to be that Judas. None of us have arrived. None of us is a super saint. Every one of us was a child of hell. And Jesus pulled us up out of the miry clay and set us on a rock to stay. Boy, I'd like to be that Judas that hasn't got so religious that I've forgotten how to say Lord, thank you. And I don't understand why you'd want me, but I'm so glad that you do. Somebody say amen now. Amen. Oh, Jesus, why would you choose me? Of the many who are better deserving, you called me. You have manifested your mercy to me while many people have never even heard his name. When's the last time that you bent your knee 
or sit on the side of your bed and thank God for saving a wretch like we are. We ought to be doing it every day, by the way. I want to be that kind of Judas. The next one mentioned in our Bible, of course, is the one that uh, no one wants to be, hopefully. Judas Iscariot. Matthew 10, 4, Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Over and over in the Bible, when you read the word Judas, if it's not talking about Judas, it'll say, not Iscariot. They want everybody to know it. No, not that Judas. Judas was a lost man. He was an attendee of the discipleship meetings with Jesus. But he never was saved. He is called in another book, the son of perdition. And let me just put that in simple English. He was a child of hell. He was a son of perdition. Did you know that there are supposedly called theologians that believe that Judas might have been saved? Ignorant are they. He is so rejected by the Lord that everybody wants to say, I may, my name may be Judas, but not Iscariot. He went to hell. Head first, off he goes. You remember the story? Head first, down the cliff. What's the last thing you saw? His feet. It jumps down. Spills his inward parts. Unsaved. Head first to hell. What's the last thing you saw? Jesus. As he ascended to go to heaven, you see his feet. That's the last thing you did. He was headed on up to heaven, going to the glory throne to sit at the right hand of God and there's a big difference between the two. And there is no way for one to go from the depths of hell to Christ. There is no way. For the Bible says that when people go to hell, they are continuously falling. Judas is still headlong falling into the depths of hell. He's down there close to the burners, folks. But of Jesus... He is continuously rising and of his kingdom there shall be no end. The last thing that we saw of Judas pretty much paints where he went. Acts 1.16, men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas which was a guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Do you remember when Jesus sent out his disciples to do miracles? Do you remember that? And the Bible says they did and they were amazed. Guess who was with that group? Judas. Judas performed miracles in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He did works and partook in the ministry, but he was a child of hell. So what I'm saying is I don't trust miracles to tell whether or not I'm in the faith. And we need to make sure that we're able to examine ourselves and the Holy Spirit of God speaks to us that we are indeed the children of God. I don't have to have a miracle to believe. The greatest miracle that I have seen with eyes of faith is the Lord Jesus when he resurrected from the dead and I'm praising his holy name that I was buried with him and resurrected with him. And that's really all the miracle 
I ever need to see for a great miracle happened in my life. May 10th of 1968, I received Christ as a little toe-headed boy at an altar and I'm telling you there's a miracle in me. I that was dead is now alive. My spirit was dead and was regenerated. I am a child of God. I'm not waiting to get to heaven to get eternal life. It's in me already. Oh, Judas, this man purchased the field with the reward of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst. And all of his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, Akadama, which is to say the field of blood. For it is written, and it is, in the book of Psalms, let its habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. And another disciple apostle was brought in because of this reprobate Judas. Oh, dear child of God, examine ourselves. And if you're saved as a child of God, you ought to thank Him tonight. But if you're sitting here and you're examining yourself and all you find is darkness and doubt, and unbelief, I beg you to come to Jesus. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Let's look at the fourth one. Judas of Galilee is found in Acts 5.37. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew much people away after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. Now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone. For if this counsel of this work be of men, it will come to naught. This Judas of Galilee is a false prophet. Now before I explain that, let me tell you. I get this in your crawl. There are three levels of spiritual authority. There are three levels of spiritual authority. Number one is divine authority. Do y'all understand God's still on the throne? He doesn't have to ask your permission. He doesn't have to ask anybody their opinion. God has divine authority. Holy, righteous. He doeth what he doeth and he willeth what he willeth. He is the authority. And all authority has been committed unto the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, dear child of God, is divine authority. And in case you have forgotten, Jesus is the head of the church. He has divine authority at the Woodland Hills Baptist Church. You might as well go ahead and resign to it because he was the only one worthy to receive that authority. I wouldn't waste my time going to a church that didn't have a divine authority in it. Man, church can be boring enough as it is in a dead church. Can you imagine going to a church where Jesus doesn't even show up, where two or three are not gathering in his name? What does name mean? Authority. 
So you have first divine authority. Secondly, you have direct authority. The Bible teaches us that God, through Christ and by the Spirit, looks out and directly puts his hand. He put his hand on Mike Tice and said, I want you to be my man. I'm putting my hand on you. The deacons put all the hands they want, the church members, but it's more important, brother, that God put his hand on you and you are the direct selection of the Lord Jesus Christ. One day in Brother Hunt's life, God, the Savior, reached down and put his hand on you and said, you are my direct authority in my church. The other one starts with the D2, delegated authority. Now, Judas, that's what the rest of us are. We're delegated authority. By the way, ain't anything wrong with being delegated authority because all these titles and all these offices, we're going to all come under one title in the end. It's going to be the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. But God has set that authority in His church. You can like it or not. That's the way God does it. I don't care what your constitution and bylaws say. I'm not living under the letter of the law. I'm living by the spirit of the law. Acts 5.37 After this man rose up, Judas of Galilee, in the day of taxing, here comes another one raising up, and he is a false prophet. He has character flaws just like every false minister has. And you see those flaws in Acts 5, 37 and 38. The first thing they do, they rise up. They're not the direct authority. Now, we know they're not Jesus, right? How big a cult is it when the leader says, I'm the Messiah? How big a cult is that? David Koresh got a little touch of hell before he went down there. Don't drink the Kool-Aid at one of those guys. Church, Jim Jones. These guys decide, I am the Messiah, you don't... Jim Jones threw the Bible in the floor and said, you don't need that anymore. I'm, I am divine authority. No, he's not. He's just direct authority, and I doubt he was that. So the first thing to do is to rise up as if God's blind, as if God can't see. You see, some people just can't be happy being delegated authority. You know, I don't have an issue with that. I served Brother Hunt for four and a half years. Did I ever kick you in the shins or say an evil word about you or ever deny your position? You know why? He had a big umbrella. (laughs) And when the cold water committee was after me, I'd run and get under his umbrella. I said, oh, hey, don't worry about it. I'm just doing what he told me to do. Whether I am or not, that's what I would say. I said, go see him. You give direct authority to stink eye and they liable to close that umbrella on you if you're not careful. He's a better man than I am about that. But Judas of Galilee, the first thing to do is they rise up. I'm the direct authority now. And this man, the next thing to do is they begin to draw people after them. They begin to draw people. And they cause folks to be at odds with direct authority. Uh-oh. And they begin to say, let me tell you what we need to do. Now, what you need to do is know your place. The followers usually scatter after this man's work comes to naught. Judas Judas of Galilee, finally his work, by the way, his prophecies didn't come true. What he said was going to happen didn't happen. And people begin to scatter away from him. But he's done damage and has done disgrace to the house of God. 
Lord, I, I don't want to be that Judas. Somebody say amen. Oh, that's just as light as skim milk. I'm sorry, folks, I go to a shouting church. In my church, you had to put out more wildfires and you can get started than most, but I'm just telling you, receive the word of God with Anon. Be joyful about it. Receive it. There are two things when you're delegated authority, and they both start with the R. You either represent or you replace. I used to love my mother to send Papa to the store because I knew what was going to happen. And she would write down the brand she wanted, what she wanted. He'd come back with some off-brand cheap junk, and he'd say, here you go. And she'd say, that is not what I asked for. He said, it was 15 cents cheaper. And then you would hear the door slam and a lot of grumbling going on as he went back to the store. See, he didn't represent her. He replaced what she needed. See, a lot of people not representing authority, they're replacing it. And they're called a Judas of Galilee. Let's get off of that and I'm getting a knot in my stomach. The fifth Judas is Judas the householder. Acts chapter 9 verse 11. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight and inquire of the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. Man, I would love to be Judas, the householder. When Paul was converted, this man opened up his house. How did he know to open his house? He was a man of prayer. And he loved this man of God, this new Christian. I want to tell you something, friends. I, I don't recommend that we just all go hog wild and start opening our house to every kind of unclean thing there is in this world. Brother Mike and I were talking on the way up here. He's telling about a, uh, a preacher that was preaching. Don't you imagine if all the Christians in the world gathered and they were going to kill these babies, that one of us would stand up and say, don't kill that baby with abortion. I'll take it home with me. Yeah. I hope that we know how to be Judas, the householder. Is your house a refuge for the men of God? Is it a refuge for the people of God? Are we willing to have hospitality? That our home doesn't belong to us. Our house belongs to Jesus. Everything we own belongs to Him. When you went to Mount Calvary and saw that suffering soul bleeding and dying for you, you gave up your rights when you got saved. But you see, Christians in the modern church think they have a right to have this, 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 and that. I've got that coming to me. I have this I need to have because, let me tell you, there are people all over this world that are losing their lives to follow Christ. Their properties are taken. They are beheaded. Their children are stoned, tortured. And here we sit comfortable. You need to take care of your house and make it a place of ministry. Bless the Lord, I come up a preacher's kid. You know what I liked about Sunday? Even before I was saved. Somebody was going to have our family in their house. 
And that was the old days when people really knew how to cook. And you would smell the fresh bread when you walked in the front door. The house was immaculately clean. Why? Because the man of God and his family was coming to eat. I'm telling you folks, it'd be pork sausage on top of beef roast. There would just be macaroni and cheese plus cheese melted on the top. I'm telling oh, I'm getting so hungry. We've got to close this thing down. But I'm just telling you folks, make your house the house of Judas. If you can't let people in, bake a pie. If you can't bake a pie, don't send it to me. Go buy me one. Judas, the householder, loved the man of God. The Bible says to remember those who have the rule over you. Remember that scripture? Remember those who have the rule over you. I've got some precious people in my church, some of them. And uh, <laughs> they have a wonderful pastor, though, I'll tell you. You know, they remember me on my birthday. Of course, I advertise. I ain't going to lie about it. They remember me on Minister Appreciation Month because I started advertising two months early on that. They remember me at Christmas. And I just tell them I'm not going to get upset if you forget me. We're just going to have a series on hell for six months, and it works miracles. Make your house a house of ministry. I'm not here to brag on myself. I'm just going to tell you an experience that I've had. And I probably have told you before, I'm at the age that I can hide my own Easter eggs and can't find them. I'm just telling you. But uh, I went to church one Sunday morning. And there was a little boy asleep on the front porch of that church. Destitute. Disheveled. You could smell him before you saw him. One of the elders, he got so gloriously saved that morning in church. You could hear him weeping all over that building. It's a long story, but he made his way from Oklahoma homeless. And he said, if I can get to Mark, Brother Mark's church, I know they'll help me. And he hitchhiked and he caught bus, however he could get down there. So one of the men in the church said, what are you going to do with him? I mean, the invitation went on forever. People were getting right with God because the Lord was in the house. And he said, what are you going to do with him? I said, I don't know, brother, but I'll tell you what I ain't going to do. I'm not putting a little lamb on the street. He's still with me. I'm just hoping that sometime in his life he will not be with me full time. The boy has gained weight and is beginning to look like he's one of my sons. All right. You shouldn't just take in everybody. I'm just going to tell you, it's not safe. But I'll tell you, if you'll make yourself the right kind of Judas, God will bring people in your path that you can help, and you ought to be glad to do it. Is that the bell that says stop? Put is, that, is it really? I'll steal the clapper out of that thing. I'll tell you what. Right here. The last one. Don't you love it when the preacher says, finally, lastly, make you want to shout, bless God. But I remind you that when the apostle Paul said lastly, he usually went on about four more chapters. There's one last Judas. And I'm taking these chronologically. I see, I believe the word of God's in chronological order for a reason. There's one less, one more. He's Judas, the half-brother of Jesus. 
Jude chapter 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Judas, the half-brother. Why do I say the half-brother of Jesus? Y'all know why, don't you? They shared the same mother, but only Jesus had the heavenly Father as his Father. Judas is the writer of the book of Jude. You know he was not a Baptist preacher. We know that beyond a doubt. Because if Judas had been a Baptist preacher, he would have got up every Sunday. Hello, I'm Pastor Judas, and you know, Jesus is my half-brother. You remember that? We would draw attention to that. I would, for heaven's sake. And, <laughs> I mean, there's a pretty sorry dog won't wag his own tail where I'm from. But Judas did not say, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. All right, pray the Lord. Matter of fact, if you'll study your Bible, Judas never mentioned his life as a half-brother to Jesus. Never brought it up. You see, this Judas, just like you, did not believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ till after the resurrection. It was after the resurrection that we were able to believe on Christ. Amen? Amen. Without the resurrection, Christianity is dead. It is the foundation of everything that we are. Is that Christ resurrected from the dead. Had he died on Calvary and not resurrected, it would all have been null and void. But I got good news for you. Up from the grave he arose. With Satan squished between his toes. Something like that. I don't know. <laughs> but before Judas was saved, I believe that Judas, like many others, thought that Jesus was crazy. He's got issues. Now, I want to tell you, I wasn't raised with Jesus, but I had an older brother that was perfect. It was tough. Stephen doesn't act like that. Stephen made an A in the spelling. Stephen did this and Stephen did that. I said, yeah, and the worst thing, go to school and your teacher said, would you like me to go get your older brother to help you with that? No, I would not. Being, can you imagine being raised in the house with Jesus? You're getting lickings on a regular basis and he's over there just praying for you while you're getting whooped. Mark 3, 21, and when his friends heard of it, they heard of Jesus being in the house and preaching and gathering people unto them. They went out to lay hold of him. For they said, he is beside himself. People that really love Jesus because of being a friend to him, family and friends. How can you explain your brother acting like he did? I'm not from this world. I knew Abraham. Oh, 
Abraham has been dead for hundreds and hundreds of years. So when he began to talk like this, the Bible says they ran out and laid hold of him. They said, you, you got to get out of here. You're just acting crazy. Jesus had several brothers, but James and Judas are the two which followed Christ after the resurrection. We're almost done, believe it or not. How did this Judas half-brother come to trust Jesus as a Savior? The same way you did. In the dark alley of doubt and unbelief. In the trash run of sin. Being damned and doomed and dead. Here came Jesus and presented and confronted himself to you. Can you imagine Judas, a half-brother of Jesus? He loved his brother. He was raised in the house with him, but he's crazy. He died in vain. Why did he go through with this idea? But one day, Jesus appeared to him. And Judas from that time forward decided that his former life was not to be mentioned because of the new life he had found in Christ. Now, women, I don't know what y'all do for salad fellowships when you have it. But men, we usually have a barbecue and pie supper. And... Sometimes men like to see who can outdo one another with their stories of how they were sinners. Now they're getting fidgety. I'm not going to squeal on any of you. But men will say, you know, before I found Christ, I was an alcoholic. I was a bigger one than you. No, you weren't. I was in jail four times for drinking. I was in jail five times. Folks, it doesn't matter what you used to be. It's not worthy to be mentioned. And if you just got to keep those pictures of before you were saved, ladies and gentlemen, hide them with instructions to burn them after you're dead because no one needs to see you acting in the life of sin that you had except in the testimony that I've been saved. All my sins are under the blood. I don't have a life that's worthy to be mentioned before I met Jesus. Somebody say amen. Those of you that are asleep, I know you're not praying, bless God. <laughs> Examine yourself. Be sure you're not still bragging about what a sinner you were, but that you're still bragging what a Savior He is. I don't know if I'm dizzy or if this pulpit keeps moving. Which is it? You... Little of both. Stop trying to prove that you were worse than everybody else and prove that there's nobody like Jesus. Judas never mentioned being the half-brother of Jesus. But bless the Lord, he mentioned what a Savior the Lord Jesus was. All right, Brother Hunt, how do you want to do this invitation?